So, Dave, in the, in the last episode of the show, uh, we spoke with uh, Nirmal Mehta from uh, Booz Allen Hamilton about his uh, Project Jellyfish, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of this uh, all-encompassing cloud broker uh, built up on uh, Manage IQ and, uh, and cloud forms. Um, and then the conversation veered in an interesting direction. Uh, Nirmal started talking about his work with, uh, with Arduinos, and yes. we ended up down this uh, amazing story. Yes. We, we, we decided to make this its own episode. It's so good. Exactly. Um, and so there, it's a tale of, of adventure mm-hmm. and, uh, and explosions yep. and uh, hijinks, high flying. Yeah. yeah. Potential airspace violations. Potential airspace violations. Uh, we got fire. Fire. And, and, and after... Parachutes. We got parachutes. <laughs> That's right, parachute. And after after it was all done, uh, Dave, you sent me a message afterwards saying that this was maybe your favorite interview uh, that we done yeah. on the show. Yeah, yeah. Of all the non Lauren interviews we've done, this is this is has to be one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, so uh, let's get into it. So so uh, so normal when you're when you're uh, when you're not working on uh, on jellyfish and uh, advancing the cause of uh, open source and government, um, what do you what do you do in your spare time? Uh, all kinds of uh, neat projects. Uh, some of the, one of the last ones I did last year was uh, helped with my friend. Uh, we launched a weather balloon that was uh, driven by Arduino, and we attached a GoPro to it to the stratosphere. Um, uh, 80,000 feet in the air. We made it and uh, uh, got some awesome HD video of the stratosphere and space and all that kind of good stuff. So, um, or it was actually 80,000 80, feet plus because I think our altimetry kind of cut out when, when we started hitting those altitudes. But um, those are the kinds of projects I work on on, on the side uh, in terms uh, outside of just researching and programming and talking to you guys and following Gunner on Twitter. Um, <laughs> well, no, so, and, no, no, and being uh, part of the Gunner fi- fan club, Gunner, <laughs> Gunner and Dave fan club. That's a tiny. I think I think the entire Gunner fan club is on this is on this call right now. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> my mom, my <laughs> so how um, do you eighty thousand feet is pretty far. What is yeah. the what's the recovery for that like? Like how did did you get your GoPro back okay. or is that just like so, cost of business. So my uh, my friend Ryan, he's uh, he kind of um, he's a hands-on electrical engineer, and he just likes to he kind of comes up with these projects. So we were sitting around one day, and he's like, "I'm gonna build a weather weather balloon. We're gonna send something to, to the stratosphere." I was like, "Okay." So six months later, we kind of took started taking it more seriously, and we started uh, hacking together. Um, the components and started ordering the components and we actually used a, a Harris Teeter cooler as our <laughs> as our payload <laughs> foam coolers and uh, we started uh, we got some Arduino Unos and and started creating the the code and got some GPS receivers and and transceivers for uh, staying connected to it and um, at the time uh, he was really into RF engineering and SATCOM stuff for for work, and and so we you know we started to look into more of the transceiver stuff and being able to over you know long distance twenty five mile radio transmitters trying to figure out if we can do some kind of good communication to a payload that goes high up, and obviously we we took a look at the FAA regulations on weight and size and all that good stuff. So there's a there's 
like any good engineering problem, there's some there's some restra- restraints and restrictions and things that we had to or constraints that we had to kind of engineer to. And we started building it out over six months. And um, we started with just one Arduino. Um, eventually, we had to get we had to put two on there just because we started running out of memory space mm-hmm. on our one Arduino uh, for controlling all this all the subsystems and things like that. And that's a problem that. Not many programmers have to face these days unless they're yes. dealing with Java um, <laughs> constraints, uh, like just you know byte constraints on a on a on a CPU. Uh, but that's the fun challenge of of working with Arduinos and other microcontrollers is, you know, you can't put too many debug strings in there because strings are stored as as full strings in in you know your in your heap or your stack and that takes up space that's mm. that's allocated toward your program as well right <laughs> to your memory so those those there's no like nice linux operating system kind of allocating resources and doing swap and everything that's all not there so you kind of have to uh, be uh be conservative on your messaging and things so we had to c- create our own messaging protocol and command uh, protocol to to uh, interpret uh, messages going back and forth to the payload, and um, we we just started testing it out. Uh, we we found out the specs on the on the. Uh, at first, we did a helium balloon. Uh, we had to we figured out how big of a helium balloon we needed balloon we needed, and um, believe it or not, one of the hardest parts was actually sourcing helium and finding some to to actually acquire. Um, I think we under the table purchased some helium from a party city from some guy behind the counter who I'm pretty sure was not allowed to sell us uh, all the helium they had in the store. <laughs> but uh, we, we managed to get the helium. And um, what we did uh, initially on our tests, we um, we actually rigged. Uh, we uh, So the, the part of the the system that we created I was responsible for was actually doing the real-time mapping of the payload and the base station software. So we wrote a Ruby on Rails app with, um, oh, geez, what was the app? Uh, EGIS, I think, is the open source uh, GIS tool. And I had to go and find some um, open open map data and, and write a script to download all the different tiles for the uh, Northern Virginia area and... Uh, make sure we had like an offline kind of uh, data set so that we could actually track it while we're driving around trying to chase this thing. Because, you know, these payloads, they can go a very long distance. It's not something where within 20 miles you can just like pick it up. Depending on where you are in the United States and and what altitude that that balloon hits, it can actually go thousands of miles without you if you're not careful you know to stay up there for a long time and and we we did a lot of research on the web of of people that have done that in the past and um we came up with our own original design so i created some of the software for the base station so we had like a a laptop with the transceiver and a huge uh i think it was like a four foot antenna uh that we a directional antenna that we had uh mounted to one car and then um, <laughs> to test the payload, we would drive around Northern Virginia on the straightest pieces of road we could find. And then we would have the payload in one person's car and then the transceiver in another person's car. And we'd try to, try to simulate like being at least a couple miles away and seeing if we can get the data and map it and all that good stuff. Um, so we, we launched initially at the beginning of the summer. And that launch um, 
like I said, we had a challenge getting sourcing a lot of the helium, and um, uh, luckily we 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 were smart enough to put enough battery power and um, some redundant GPS systems in there. So we bought a off the a COTS uh, GPS tracker for like uh, logistics uh, services that has like a cell phone chip and a GPS chip that SMSs uh, the location every 15 minutes or something so long as it's in cell phone range as our like backup. But then we had our own like Arduino run GPS and controller and altimeter and temperature sensor and pressure sensor and, and we had heating fabric in there like uh, <laughs> the same stuff that's in a heating blanket. We had that so we could keep the components warm once it got to a certain altitude. There's all these little things you have to think about. It's not, you know, the, the funny, the, the other cool thing is you think it'd be simple to send a, something into, into space and keep track of it. It's very hard to track things. <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one thing I think I learned is that it's very hard to track things that are just floating around up there unless uh, you have some kind of radar system, I guess. And even then, if it's too small, it's basically like something in the ocean. It's it could just disappear. That's awesome. So that's, a, that's awesome. Is it now? Is any of this documented? Is this is there a web page for for this? Problem? Uh, yeah, we, we yeah. need the video. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to I'll have to send it to you guys afterwards. I have to I have to dig that stuff up because it's been a little while. I think we ended this project last summer, um, so it's been a little while since since I looked at that stuff. We've all, we've now moved on to other projects that I, I can talk about as well. But um, we didn't source enough helium in the first launch, and it didn't, uh, we just had the minimum amount of helium in there. So when it when we launched it, it didn't rise quick enough, and it only, it peaked out at around 3,000 feet, which is, it's, uh, it's what's called the float zone, I think, um, where if it's at a certain altitude, the balloon will just float there forever and it could go around the world and you can't ever, it won't ever come back down because it, the, the goal is to get it high enough so the balloon pops and then it mm -hmm. goes down. So to meet FAA requirements, we had to have um, three ways of cutting down or sending a signal to it to cut, to cut down the, the balloon. And, and uh, oh, I forgot, I, even, I forgot about the best part. We put a parachute in there and not only did we put a parachute in there, but we had it, uh, explosively launch out of the <laughs> so we had a, a, a pipe in there with some gunpowder and uh, a fuse and a, a parachute and and some uh, like foam bits to kind of pad it out and so we could we came we came up with a protocol and certain code in there like failsafe code so that it would it knew where it was and if it hit certain points or we send it certain commands it would cut the parachute using um so you know the the same wire that you have in your toaster that glows red. You can mm -hmm. yep. we would t we wrap that around the parachute cord, the balloon cord, and it was also the fuse part of the fuse in the in the in the parachute launching system, and uh, we could trigger that with our battery power, and that would actually burn through the rope of like the the rope that was holding onto the balloon, for example, and then cut it down. So the first launch. Um, it was getting very close to airspace that we weren't allowed to be in. And so within about, uh, you know, within about a couple of minutes of launch, I'd say about 20 minutes, we were following around it in a bunch of cul-de-sacs and different areas in Northern Virginia. And uh, I'd say in Northern Virginia, but it was kind of at the border of Northern Virginia and the rest of Virginia, because that's actually where the air, illegal airspace is, is mm -hmm. farther out in the farm 
farm country, but uh, we cut it down, and thankfully that command successfully came down and it uh, landed in uh, someone's backyard, right right at the border of uh, FAA regulated air, like the proper place, <laughs> like like within ten feet of where we weren't allowed to be flying anyway. So um, thankfully we recovered it, and it was amazing that we actually found it. Um, that was awesome when this uh, homeowner returned home and saw like four cars worth of people just like <laughs> hanging out in their backyard trying to find this uh, white Harris Teeter box. <laughs> With <laughs> explosives. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing that happened on that was we found out that we didn't tie down the parachute strong enough. So when the parachute launched, it just ripped off. So it actually fell 2,000 feet without a parachute and it survived like most of the – most of the components perfectly survived, which was pretty awesome. Wow. So three months later, we took all the lessons learned. We put a third redundant system in. We put uh, a second uh, SIM card in. So we had two mobile networks that it could respond to, uh, primary and the, the backup. Um, we put a second GPS uh, chip in there that could give us a little bit more um, redundant information about the altitude. And uh, by the way, that's also tricky because most GPSs that you buy, like on just wherever, they cut out at a certain altitude because of export laws, I guess. So oh. we found some Chinese provider that you can get the exact same GPS <laughs> module that doesn't have any upward limit. So you can actually track above like, I don't know, 35 or 40,000 feet. <laughs> There's all that kind of good stuff. And then um, we changed from helium to hydrogen, which was a lot easier to, to source, but it's a lot more dangerous to kind of handle. Um, we, yeah, we, 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 yeah, that's <laughs> reminds me of a, uh, of a Zeppelin, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially, when uh, they, uh, especially, just, especially when your fail-safe uh, is a red-hot filament. <laughs> yeah, and explosives. And, yeah. <laughs> um, so we took a lot of lessons learned, um, and we built a much better uh, ground base tracking. Like we did a little bit better on the on the ground tracking system, and uh, we got that uh, um, out there. Uh, we actually took it all the way to um, a little bit west of Route 81 in the kind of central Virginia. If anyone knows where that is, it's kind of the western side of Virginia. And we launched out of a, a, a big field there. We found a, a good weather day. And uh, immediately went up really rapidly. It was almost mm. approaching a, a thousand feet per, I think, uh, thirty seconds or so. So it was it was going up real quick, and and uh, we started tracking it. And then when it hit about ten thousand feet and about I would say half a mile away, all of a sudden we could not get a signal from it. It just wouldn't send us any data. So we. You know, and it's starting to float up there, and it's starting to hit 10,000 feet, you know, 15,000 feet, and we we started losing visibility to it, and you know, the roads aren't as the crow flies, so <laughs> we started like booking it and trying to take this directional antenna and trying to pick up the signal, and after about an hour and a half of you know fruitless effort of trying to find out where it was in the sky, we just kind of completely lost track of it, and so it was very disheartening. We knew this was going to be a risk in, uh, you know, any kind of system that we create here. And so we really, the only hope we had was uh, using the weather prediction we had to kind of get ahead of it and see if we could get to a point where we thought it would cross and then kind of hope that, you know, we aim in the right direction in the sky and kind of get a signal. 
And so we went about halfway between West Virginia and the eastern shore of Virginia um, near Lake Anna, past Lake Anna. We, we kind of stopped at the McDonald's and we started aiming our directional antenna. Um, this was about two hours into the journey. And we, we were aiming at the sky and we could not get a signal. And it was, it was just so disheartening. And by this point, we launched in the morning, kind of like around 11 a.m., and this was maybe an hour and a half before or two hours before sundown. So we were kind of getting really disheartened and and uh, we thought, you know, oh, well, like unless this thing lands somewhere and can get a, a cell phone signal, we're not going to get a, a coordinate um, of where it was. And so we started, um, you know, we got we got some food and kind of, you know, pat ourselves on the back a little bit and be like, oh, well, this kind of sucks and hopefully we can get something. And and uh, we we kind of started heading back home, which was another two hour drive to northern Virginia. And then like 15 minutes into our drive, we got a We got it. Like my roommate, uh, Ryan and myself, we got a text message from from the payload. And it was like, holy, holy <laughs> cow, I can't believe it. And it was already almost in the ocean it was almost in the chesapeake it had traveled in like about three hours or three and a half hours it had traveled all the way from route 81 all the way to almost in the water like 130 140 miles and so where we thought it was going to be at 60 miles it was already landed like all the way across virginia so we booked it like all the way from, from lake anna to like the coastline because to meet we up with it. Homeland Security. Yeah. <laughs> the cell phone signal, um, it, it started texting us while it was still dropping. So we could see it and it was like approaching water. And we're like, oh no, like, oh my God, you know, and we're kind of freaking out because, you know, we, we were hoping it wouldn't land in water because that would just really suck. Because <laughs> once it's in water, it kind of, even though it's in a floating foam container thing, <laughs> you, know, you know, anything can happen. So we made it, you know, two-hour drive. We uh, kind of pinpointed it. It was on... Um, the, the other thing we did, the lesson learned, was we actually put a huge uh, speaker on it that would cr um, made this huge audible buzzing sound every, like, 10 minutes. And if it wasn't for that, <laughs> we would not have found it because it was, it was in the middle of the woods in some park, like, dead dark at night. And uh, we, you know, a bunch of us kind of pulled up. And we had our flashlights out. It was getting real cold and dark. And we would all shut up and we could hear it in the distance. And so we mm. kind of echolocated this payload. And then when we got close to it, which was very hard to do, um, we found out it, got, it landed 80 feet on the top of this huge pine tree. And so the next night... Um, my other friends, the the group of people we have, luckily they're they're huge climbers. So, in the dead of night, because we didn't know whose property it was, at two o'clock in the morning the next day, they we took out all our spelunking or not spelunking but climbing rope and everything, and um, these guys climbed an eighty foot tree and cut it down, and we we successfully recovered everything. That's so awesome. it That's was awesome. it was very exciting. I, I think it was one of the most exciting things that day was. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And it was, it was a huge payoff for, for all the work we had kind of put in and it was a lot of fun. So we got full HD video and we saw it go all the way into space, um, the balloon pop and everything and then spiral down. Mm. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. 
So I'll send you all the links on that stuff. I don't know if the blog's still up, but I think the YouTube videos are there. And, uh, and to any of your listeners out there, if, if you have children, um, that are interested in engineering or, um, you know, working on these kind of projects, starting with an Arduino is one of the, the best things. I mean, I can't even imagine this being able to be done 10 years ago, but nowadays it's actually really easy to put these kind of things together and, I won't say really easy, but it's doable as opposed to not completely not doable, you know? <laughs> so that's, awesome. that's my story. That's awesome. Nice. Normal, thanks so much for spending the time with us. That was great. I no love problem. that. What a great story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'd love to talk to you guys more about the the projects that, that folks are doing out there with Arduino and and these uh, microcontrollers these days, it's it's so amazing. Yeah, it's a cool. new world yeah. of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, uh, that would be great. That would be great. So, Normal, if, uh, if folks want to learn more about uh, Project Jellyfish, uh, where, where can they go? Absolutely. Uh, projectjellyfish.org. Projectjellyfish.org. That's the place. <laughs> right, right on. Uh, open and, uh, sourcing February, the week of February 7th. Excellent. Uh, and, uh, Normal, if folks want a link to the... Uh, to the YouTube videos of your uh, of your Stratospheric Explorer, um, or if they want the links to the other stuff that we've talked about on the show today, uh, what website should they go to? DGshow.org. Nice. All right. Uh, Normal, thanks again for spending all this time with us. We really appreciate it. <laughs>